jazz. Well, we got to save this gold for later, man. Yeah, sure. We got to get on with getting on with jazz so let's, master let's, podcast. Uh, did you like Micaiah? Well, well, we got to save it, man. We got to do the podcast first. I know. I'm just asking, did you like it? Because I, 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 I liked I, it. I, I think that I went back to I, Universal Beings and. I gotta admit, the production level on Universal Being, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare and very raw. So anyway, uh, Mike was asking me about one of the featured albums on Jazz Bastard Podcast 191, and we're both podcasting from new locations, right? Right, we are. Mike is out of his kitchen, I'm out of my study, which has been taken over by my wife, who's teaching remotely, so I'm in bed, and every now and then Mike's gonna say, Patrick, wake up. <laughs> Stop snoring. Is that what you normally do when I'm talking? You snore? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> Those are blow you bubbles. You never know. You, you snore. You eye roll. You. Uh, <laughs> I see. I see. I crush so 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 very much candy. And you are out of the kitchen, so supposedly we're not going to hear any doggies. You're not. I, this is this space that I'm in is actually like it's hard to explain. My building is a Victorian building. Um, so it's it's over 100 years old. And this is an enclosed back door shed storage area. I'm here with a giant water heater for part of the other. I basically control all the water in the building. If I want, I could cut everyone off. Um, <laughs> you're uh, like snow piercer for the. It, exactly. Story. I'm like, all y'all need to pony up some cash or you're not getting any hot water for your shower. Um so, yeah, I have a hot water heater here and windows on three sides. And one of the walls is actually a door that's been painted shut because if I opened, if I could open the door, there's no stairs. I would ah. just plunge 30 feet to the ground. It's the so, door of death. Yeah. And um, the roof above this was redone uh, like last year, but it still leaks. So I actually have a bucket on the table that passes for a desk. So you may hear the plink plop of raindrops from time to time if my microphone picks them up and if you hear the pitter patter of rain on the roof hopefully that's not going to put pat to sleep any more than anything else i do does <laughs> it's not you man it's the bed it's the bed <laughs> all i need is a cat on my lap and i'll just be completely unconscious so we're going to focus for the next couple of episodes on newish releases trying to bring some of those new artists in the spotlight as we know we're in the middle of a kind of a shut down that embraces culture as well as business and uh, right now it's hard for musicians to get by there's been various streaming efforts that you can like and watch and, and contribute to there's a fundraiser in the Indianapolis area I chipped in a couple bucks too for the musicians there you know wherever you're at you might want to think about trying to support your local talent these are people who've released albums in 2020 except with one exception, an album from 2017 of an up-and-coming artist who we've talked about before. So I'm going to try a couple of these names, then I'm going to let Mike take over. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Lakeisha Benjamin. I think you're right. And her release on rope dope for this year, Pursuance, and that is a cast of thousands epic nod towards not just John, but John and Alice Coltrane. So this is an album of covers of music associated with one or the other of those great musicians. And Lakeisha's brought on, she's a young woman uh, with an incredible fashion sense, and she's brought on uh, various heavy hitters. 
to help her with this uh, tribute album. And then uh, Micaiah McRaven's Very Rare from 2017 on International Anthem. Um, we, talked, we talked about highly, this. High, highly rare. Highly rare. Thank you. I don't know where I got the title wrong there. I actually own it. I should have looked at the cover better. I uh, picked this up on vinyl. and um, Ooh, and uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is a dub, but that's okay. Yeah, he recorded it to like a four-track cassette recorder, and then as he did on Universal Beings, which is a little bit more re- recent release we did talk about earlier, kind of cut up and, and pasted and, and manipulated the results of a, a long live jam session with a fine quartet and turned that into uh, this release. We talked about Micaiah before on... And, and I, I'll just say while you're looking, I hope we're pronouncing um, his first name correctly. I don't know if it's Micaiah, Micaiah. Our apologies if we're screwing it up. But I think we've got McRaven right. His last name is, is pretty clear. So. There you go. And one, episode 158, we talked about Universal Beings from 2018, also on International Anthem. This is the album from the year before, whose name I forgot. You want to do the other two there and see? Uh, yeah, oh, sure. <laughs> So um, I don't know the label uh, off the top of my head, but we're going to look at Gabriel. So he's from Venezuela. So I don't know if the last name has a Spanish pronunciation or not. Um, So his last name is, I would have guessed from the name that it's of Indian, uh, of Asian extraction. And I would have guessed that it's pronounced Charkarji because it's spelled C-H-A-R-K-A-R-J-I. But since he's from Venezuela, I have no idea. Maybe it's Charcarhi. I, you know, I don't. So I'm not sure how the name is pronounced. And if I'm mispronouncing it, Gabriel, please forgive me. It's not intentional. And then the uh, last thing we're looking at is uh, an album by a trumpeter slash flugelhorn player named Rachel Therian. Therian, and her disc is called Vena. Oh, and did I say Gabriel's disc is called New Beginning? Right. That's a 2020 disc, and I think that's self-released. Right. And Therian's disc is called Vena, V-E-N-A. That's on Bonsai Music from also 2020, so cool. three of these are brand new releases. Do you have our preferences to where we start? Let's end with Micaiah, because I really like that album. Okay, well, why don't we start with Gabriel's release, New Beginning. Cool. That was one you picked out. in a quartet with trumpeter Adam O'Farrell, tenor saxophone player Morgan Guerin. Guerin? Guerin, and it looks like it's a quintet. Maybe I should count better. Oh, Faces it's much bigger than that. Edward Perez and drummer Jungkook Kim. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a bigger cast than that, and I don't know who Perez is, but um, Anna Carmela Ramirez on vocals, Guerin on tenor, Juan Diego Villalobos on uh, vibes and percussion, Dean Torrey on bass, Jungkook Kim on drums, Daniel Prim percussion, Yaikov Vital percussion, and Adam O'Farrell trumpet. So it's actually a bigger... Not everyone plays on every song, but it's... it's right, a rotating cast. So yeah, yeah okay. it's a kind of a sextet or even a septet, depending on the number, and then some numbers are just trios. So for me, I guess this was, uh, and Gabriel's a pianist. Yes. 
you know, at first I, I thought this was going to be quote unquote Latin jazz, and there are some rhythms like that. Uh, but I, I think this was the hardest album for me to get a fix on. I like it. It's well done. Um, a lot of it's in what I call the kind of contemporary jazz idiom with kind of shifting chords, advanced harmonies. It's, it's not a, a grooving Latin album. No. Um, I guess because of the shifting cast, I just, it was the hardest for me to get my hooks into. What do you think of this one? So I, I did read an interview with him, which was kind of interesting. Um, and I, I guess he's come to the States and, and spent some time here. And he talked about what was kind of interesting for him was becoming aware of the racial uh, history of jazz in the United States, which, of course, is deeply uh, linked to the African-American experience and civil rights and all that. And, and he talked about how that was kind of an education and an eye opener for him and reflecting on, you know, racial diversity and racial racism itself and colorism are different in the South American context than they are in the United States context. Anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting and, and the album is meant to be kind of a, a reflection on or synthesis of the immigrant experience in some ways. I'm struck with uh, something on this album that I guess I haven't noticed before on so-called Latin jazz albums, which is that to me, this uh, I found it kind of fascinating and I, I liked this a fair amount. I had the sense that um, the, in particular, the rhythm section, the bass, the drums, and the percussionists, and occasionally the vocalist when she appears, they're all working in one idiom, right? They're working in these Afro-Caribbean, South American, you know, polyrhythmic idioms, if you will, that we might be familiar with um, from listening to Latin music or, you know, Cuban, Cuban jazz and so forth. That seems familiar in one way. And then the horn players... Garen and O'Farrell, when, when they appear, they're not in every number, but they're on most. So trumpet and a tenor sax player, they are playing in a more, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to put this in a more a recognizably more conventional North American jazz idiom, if you will. Right. And I felt that what was fascinating and what I really liked was that uh, uh, Tricargi's piano actually serves as a kind of mediator between the two. You've talked before in a previous uh, podcast about how you know pianos are essentially, you know, even though you can have the sustain pedal and so forth, they're they're percussive instruments. They're they're really a kind of you know form of percussion almost, and. Um, I felt like the way that he plays piano is this kind of subtle linking device that links the percussion um, and the, 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 the rhythmic instruments in his ensemble. And it serves as kind of bridge to the more linear melodic instrumentation on the album. And maybe the best example of that, I thought, would be um, the song No Me Convence, which is means I'm not convinced or it doesn't convince me. And... Um, that one kind of starts out with some, you know, quirky uh, trumpet piano doubled melody, 
and then the percussion kicks in and then for the rest of the song you get a real sense of like the the piano sort of moving between these linear melodic lines and the more percussive polyrhythmic lines of the rhythm section It served as a kind of bridge between the horns and the percussion. And that seemed to crop up on any of the numbers to me where you would have um, the horn players come in. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I actually kind of liked that a lot. And I guess I hadn't noticed that before. And maybe that's a common thing on Latin jazz albums. And I've just never noticed it. But I noticed it this time. And I liked it. I thought, okay, cool. This feels like two worlds being bridged by one instrument that's kind of holding this all together, but not too tightly. It's kind of, there's enough tension between these two different styles that you have this kind of productive uh, interplay. And then there's a, a handful of numbers on here where um, we get a trio outing. And I liked that too, because when, you know, for, for an album led by a pianist, he's not front and center on the big numbers. He He's performing, in my mind, this more mediating role. And so you kind of wonder, well, where's, you know, what, is he just going to, you know, hook everyone up? Is he not going to take a turn? And um, on trio numbers, there's a couple of them. Uh, New Beginning is a good example. Um, and then, um, oh, no, not New Beginning. Uh, Melodia de Agradecimiento, which means a song of uh, gratitude. That's a trio feature. And his piano playing is really lovely. Um, it's got a really nice, pretty melody, and it's a sort of meditative, open uh, piece that sounds like, you know, gratitude and welcoming. And I like that because I was like, ah, I can hear him play now. I can hear him really kind of get out there and step and, forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. When he did that on a couple of trio numbers, I thought, okay, this is a nice, this is a nice move because he's not just a facilitator. He's actually a creator who has some chops and has, you know, he can hold my interest even when there's not other stuff going on that he's connecting for me. So um, I, I thought this was a pretty strong album. The last couple of cuts didn't uh, hit for me as much. Uh, Montano, uh, Montuno, Quince, and Norte y Sur, I was like, eh, okay, they're all right. But I didn't have as strong a sense on those songs um, that something was going on that kind of captured my attention the way the way the other songs kind of worked for me. Yeah, just I felt like it maybe drifted a bit from, <laughs> it seemed to get less Latin as it went on maybe a little bit, the album. Maybe, yeah, maybe. You know, uh, in terms of rhythms and, and again, I, I want to stress that, you know, the first tune, there are intimations that maybe this is going to be a fairly, again, whatever it means to say a Latin, and I know that can be very narrow and typecasting, I'm not trying to be, you know, but I guess percussion heavy and some of those rhythms that are familiar to us from quote-unquote Latin jazz, but pretty quickly, yeah, it doesn't, that's not, It's this is not some kind of groove workout, you know, this is not kind of um, um, all about layered percussion and 
uh, it's just it's 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 a lot more kind of contemporary, almost I don't want to say academic, but quote unquote cutting edge tonal jazz. That's a, I think that's a good point. Um, how did you like um, the the trumpeter and the the tenor sax player here? Well, I, again, I I don't have a great defense for this. I guess I should have tried to find some time to get some headphone time with this album because it of the records today it, it it stuck with me the least i think they're both very accomplished and in fact we were talking about an email we got from a listener and he says i listen to you a lot you know they're fine musicians but you know it's like, yes right. <laughs> you said that a few uh, thousand times i mean we right, just don't... that's a, so this listener is saying one of the things we say a lot of times is great players but it didn't connect for me or, so yeah, yeah. this was one of those for you i mean it just it's we, I, I just cannot think of a time in the last, we've been doing this eight years, that I've listened to an album and just said, you know, these people are technically insecure. They just can't play. Right, right. We've never heard an album where, like, these people should quit and go back to their day jobs. I, you know, I, I will say, I, I finally listened to, I got this Chet Baker set of records on Riverside, right? And the fourth one is, or the fifth one is Alternate Takes. And man, he's playing this one song, an instrumental on the second side of that, and he just hits a couple motherfucking clinkers. I mean, they're just, <laughs> it's like, that was just wrong, Chet. I mean, that's not we, even, we, we should do a, we should do a podcast uh, sometime. You know, we did it, we did one once where we talked about great, you know, jazz players who, who, things they shouldn't have done. But we, maybe we should find some, like, you know, legit, jazz albums that just suck um so i think i've told you before i've got a slide hampton live album i think it's live in japan it's not the title it's called something else but the drummer is just stoned out of his mind or drunk because he's not playing the same songs that everyone else is like it's just you listen to it and you're like what time signature is he playing in like it's just it's so bad it's so dissonant you're like how did how did the producer decide this would be good to release into the world? Like, didn't the producer go, or maybe, you know, someone in the band slept with the producer's wife and he's like, all right, I'm going to fuck these guys over. You know, <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, it's just, it's, it's bad. I mean, it's just bad, you know, and we never, it seems like on contemporary releases like this, we never hear people who can't play. It's like, right. these people are really good. It's just, this one didn't connect for me for whatever reason. Yeah, you like what they're doing. Yeah, the, the episode of and these were these weren't all necessarily disastrous albums, but at least odd albums was episode right. one forty four, and uh, we, it was a we range. Should have, we should have called that album. You should have thought twice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, my kind of dim back of the brain sense of the record was it, it seemed to shift under my feet and become something that was less. At times, I, I would kind of surface and say, you know, oh, this is just more like a hundred albums and this very advanced, you know, advanced harmonically kind of uncatchy idiom where these players are playing very accomplished, very skillful lines, but there's not a lot of harmonic motion or melodic impact. It's, it's a little academic feeling. The cliche I think about some Latin jazz is it's all about the groove. It's all about percussion and the hip shaking, and there isn't a lot of cerebral aspect to it. And so there was this weird sense that the album was the best for me when it was in tension. And there are both those elements of, you know, kind of contemporary uh, academia jazz and the kind of, uh, you know, rhythmic thrust and just basic pleasure of Latin jazz. And when it slid too far in the direction of academia, I kind of, I kind of lost the thread. I'd say that the other, you know, a couple of things. One, I, the songs I think morph a little bit, which is not always a bad thing, but it takes longer for me. You know, if a song kind of goes through stages, 
to kind of get it in my head. You know, everybody, you know, you can sing a great Bob Seger song, but if you're learning, say, Lark's Tongues and Aspect Part 2, it takes a little while for you to get the map of that thing in your head. So there's that aspect. So there's that motion there, and I'd say just the general sense that the guy's not a great melodist, you know, that there aren't there aren't a lot of either harmonic or melodic hooks in this music. And so I had a little trouble tracking it. You know, I think mainly my, the problem is mine. I just did not find time to prioritize it. I think the other albums in this rotation were more immediately accessible to me. And as usual, over this two-week period, I'm constantly being distracted by other pretty shining objects, whether it's getting through my sequence of Beethoven's piano sonatas or, you know, there's other things or whether I'm just like nose to the grindstone and I really can't listen at work. I've got something playing in the background, but I'm not giving it my full attention because I can't because I've got to get something done. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, this is not a bad album by any stretch. I, I, I guess I felt like its identity was a bit amorphous. I didn't quite know what the bill of goods I was being sold was. And that may be that he was trying to represent a whole kaleidoscope of ideas and feelings and, and settings. I mean, what does it mean to be an immigrant? What does it mean to be coming to a new place? But I guess I'm looking f- to an album with a little bit stronger stamp or just finding time to spend more time with this one to see if I grow into it deeper. But I think mainly it's my problem. I just needed to spend more time with it. I just didn't seem to have that moment where I kind of got it. But that, that's about all I got to say. There's worse things. That's all right. Well, that's for sure. I mean, again, I don't want to give the impression that I didn't like it. I just, you know, um, I wasn't quite sure what to say about it. Well, maybe we should do uh, our trumpet playing Rachel Therian next. If that's the way you say her name, I'm certain it isn't because I just said it. So that must be wrong. She's originally from Quebec. Uh, she's now living in New York City, as so many jazz musicians do. This is her fifth album. I've not heard the first four. And in this album, along with her trumpet playing, there is a what the press release describes as a Franco-Australian pianist, Daniel Gasson, the Spanish bassist, Dario Gibert. Dario. Dario. I, see, I said it, so I knew it was wrong. <laughs> That's horrible. Mario. Dario and uh, German drummer. Oh, I don't even want to. You, you, Marik Weining, Mar- Vining, Marika Marika Vining, maybe. Feels like you would have to say that with a V, right? Like, I'm assuming it's Vining, yeah. my German lessons are about 45 years in the past, but. And again, as always, our apologies to people whose names we are butchering. We are very sorry. It is not intentional. Or the comedy, the joke is on us, not on you. And then there's a sax player as well, Irving Akau. I don't know, a sow, a cow. Must be a guest, yeah. I'm kind of going by, this is the thing with these brand new releases, no physical copy. So I'm kind of going by the press releases and, yeah, there's, I guess, a, like many of these records, and and I've always I've said this before. I've got mixed feelings about the rotating cast jazz record. Yeah, it can be done to great effect. Obviously, Lush Life, uh, 
Joe Henderson's a classic of its kind where they're kind of taking a quintet and shrinking and growing it depending on the song. But largely, I kind of like the idea of you've got some musicians in a room, make music with them. Anyway, uh, I, I don't think th- this was a very eclectic record. And at times her playing reminded me of a certain other trumpet player we talk about from time to time. I don't know if she did for you or not, but what do you think of? I got piece? two. I got two. Vino. So for me, the the two players she reminded me of, and this may be, this is going to sound deeply naive. It may simply be because of how she's mic'd. There's a lot of echo on her. I thought of two players, both of whom we've talked about. One was Enrico Rava. Uh, and, and then the other would be Tomasz Stanko, the Polish trumpeter. Um, she reminded me at times of both of them in, for, but partly it's just the echo, you know, the, the ECME echo. Although this is not an ECME production by any stretch. Well, at the beginning of the end, did you think a little bit of our friend Winton? But not as much. Um, you know, he's no, not as much. I, I could see why you'd say that. But well, go ahead and make your point. Well, I mean, she only it, it's this is another album that travels a lot of ground. I, I think I like it better than beginning. But it's there's a lot. I mean, it's a long record and there are lots of kind of moods in it. But at the very beginning of the very end, there is some short form puckish, I would say. Yeah. Improvisations and those, not the rest of the record by any stretch. You know, there I would absolutely agree with your parallels, but those moments, it's like, this sounds a hell of a lot like what it did to me. It was an odd thing. So that's, that's all I got to say about that. But yeah, there was just a couple moments my ears perked up. I said, you know, this is the first trumpeter in my recollection since the great flowering of the young lions when everybody was doing it to some degree, who's really kind of reminded me a little bit of when. Uh, in those moments, but not, but not elsewhere. So what was your general impression here? Um, I liked it. Um, I had my reaction to this is your reaction, reaction in some ways to Chakarji's album. I liked it throughout. I thought it was enjoyable, but, uh, it reminded me so much of Rava and Stanko. Um, and those are two players that I like a great deal. I like her playing here as well. I think she's really good. I, I'm not entirely convinced by I'm not entirely sold on on the songs. They're not. They didn't. They didn't stick for me very well. And I. I, I just. It, it's that. It's that thing we've been talking about before. It's like great players sounds great. This didn't emotionally. I didn't. I didn't connect to this in a very strong way. Um, and that I felt that was a little. I wonder if I might not like it better with more time because, you know, when I first heard Stenko. His his songs uh, are not immediate. They're not immediate melodies. Rob is a little different, you know. Blood on the dance floor. He's doing Michael Jackson and stuff. So that that really doesn't count in this context. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Stanko, who's I've got a handful of his discs, and I I think he's wonderful. But I did not get him right away. It took a little longer for me to kind of burrow in and and, and get him. And he's a little more. He's a little more 
lugubrious or ponderous or foghorn through the mist sounding. Um, Therian is more present in some ways, more more uh, connected uh, somehow. Our playing feels more immediate to me. Yeah, but I did, direct, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Whereas Stanko is like a cat who's inviting you to, you know, curl up with him in the fog. Um, but her, her playing sometimes reminded me of him, but it's a different kind of setting. It's a little more immediate, a little more passionate. And I, I just, I'm not feeling it yet. I'm not connecting to this album. Um, her playing is terrific. She can be quite a fleet player. And I love, one of the things I love about her playing is she's, um, she's not a one tool, cat you know i mean she's she especially within the same song she'll kind of modulate between um you know uh she goes really quickly between loud and soft which i kind of like Mm -hmm. there's a sense of real control and mastery of the instrument that i find kind of compelling but that i haven't yet emotionally connected to i don't know this one just it's leaving me a little cold at the moment and okay it may be just too long i just haven't you know, I've, some of these cuts I've listened to eight, nine, seven times, and a handful of them I've listened to like four times, and I just don't feel it yet. I don't know. I I have a feeling if I stuck with this longer, maybe I would see what you're going to tell me you see in it. So tell me what you find in this, because I know you like it better than I do. Yeah, you're talking about the uh, emotional range, and I was thinking I they're, they're making an audiophile pressing of a Helen Merrill album on MRC where uh, Brownie is playing trumpet. Clifford Brown mm. behind her. And that's on the complete Clifford Brown. And I've had a copy of that that I think you, you got to me for years, but I never yeah. sat down and listened to it. And I thought, yeah, she's a really good vocalist, but her emotional range is from A to B. You know, everything is kind of <laughs> the same, you know, kind of overwrought, very emotional ballad style. And uh, apparently that was just her thing. I mean, she did a really good job with it. It's not, it's not badly sung record. It's just that seven tracks of that kind of wear thin. And yeah, this one is much more eclectic and wide-ranging. Yeah. I guess for me, the difference was is that some of the songs did, I don't know that I can hum their melodies, but had, whether it was a textural change or a melodic fragment or some production trick, but they seemed to take on characters more quickly than many albums. There seemed to be a little more distinctiveness for me. There's moments of humor. Yeah. I would absolutely agree. I think this record, like so many, is just too long. I mean, it's almost yeah. two records worth. And I think most of us, I mean, the real geniuses, I don't need this. But for the rest of us normal humans, abstract music like jazz, it, it especially if there's not strong melodic content, and especially when it's unfamiliar at first, 
you know, asking somebody to process 70 minutes or something of that, unless you've really got a head for hooks and melodies or just something that a thread that the ordinary listener can follow can be a bit overwhelming. You know, it, it's and she's still a fairly young artist. And I think I felt like the record worked on a, on a song to song basis and didn't feel like a portfolio record where you just the sense that the only impulse is to show the listener what you can do. And you're doing this and you're doing that. And it doesn't hang together aesthetically, but you're kind of showing off your wearers. I think that this was beyond that. I don't think that this had that problem. But it still was kind of awfully broad-ranging and awfully eclectic. And again, the, the framing songs, you know, it, it's a long way from Went Marsalis to Tomas Stanko, or however you say it. You know? yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a fucking long... So it is, you know, it's a little hard to get a fix that way. I think she's got a good tone. I think that her improvisations, yeah. for me, have enough melodic kernels in them. An interest that I just I follow them more closely than I do trumpeters with similar skill sets who don't uh, reach me as quickly. So you know I was happy with it. I'd really look forward to like a 40, 45 minute record fire that was and a little I, more focused. But and, and I would like an album from her that shows her playing more with the other players. This feels very much like I mean this is trumpet front and center trumpet featured and less about playing in the context the interplay yeah the, it's yeah. engineered kind of with her yeah and you know by god she can play so it's not like you know it's not like there's no there there but i wonder if i might have been more uh, hooked or connected if i felt a little more uh interplay a little more connection with the other players here who are they're good it's just this is not about them right. this is not their, this is not their album at all and, yeah. Right. And you can have records that work fine where it is very much, you know, Clifford Brown with strings, trumpet player, backdrop. This is more like a jazz record, you know, but it may partially just be the engineering. You know, I when I was looking through those Chet Baker albums in Riverside, one thing I noticed is that, you know, one of the records, it was just like the rest of the group is 20 feet behind him. You know, he just wasn't <laughs> part of it. I don't know that that was necessarily what was happening in the musical event, but that's the way it was engineered. And so that may partially be that just the, the engineering is, is spotlighting her so much that it it's pulling her out of context to some degree. But I, yeah, I guess to me overall, I, I enjoyed the record. I noticed that, you know, when I surfaced, because a lot of listening, unfortunately, in the real world, at least for me, is in a context where I'm doing something else as well. I, I wish it didn't have to be, but <laughs> I've got a job. Sorry. And so, you know, when I come to and notice a fragment or, or get pulled out of what I was doing and listen, I just felt like I surfaced and, and, and found, you know, when I come to surface, when I, when I, when my attention could get pulled back to it, normally I was pleased. You know, normally I said, that's neat or that's, that's a, that's a good idea or that's got a good groove to it. Again, I don't know that it quite adds up yet to a quote unquote album as the best of them do, where you've got a real sense of a narrative and a cast and a beginning, a middle and an end. But uh, anyway, really promising. I not heard, you know, none of these artists except for Micaiah had I ever heard it before. And, you know, I definitely want to listen to more of her stuff. So, you know, in that sense, it was a successful record because I, I want to, I want to get back to her. Just struck a chord, you know, why they didn't with the previous record. And it sounds like it was about opposite for you. So yeah. at least both of us were happy, you know, half the time. That's pretty good. Or her to please.
are we ready for Lakeisha? We are ready for Lakeisha. I don't know. Speak for yourself, man. She's intimidating. Have you seen some photographs of Lakeisha? She is just awesome. I, I just cannot get over. She, she's she got some fashion sense going on. Have you, have you looked her up? I just saw the, the picture, I think, associated with the album where she's dressed all in white, which is pretty cool. But um, no, I have not. Should I, should I Google her? Absolutely. She's kicking it. I mean, it's not like that's the only cool suit she's got. She has other cool suits, I'm just saying, which is kind of awesome. So. All right. Let's see. Lakeisha Benjamin. Let me just look at pictures. Huh. Yeah. Some serious fashion sense. Absolutely. Do you ever Just, feel like we should? Do you ever feel like you and I should dress better in order to do this? I feel like I feel like we we don't dress nearly well enough to to do this podcast sometimes. Well, I think we're in the right medium where you cannot be seen. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No one no one should actually see us. So. No one can see these pajama bottoms, and everybody's happier for that for that very reason. So yeah, you know, pajama bottoms. Wow, you're really branching out this week. Absolutely. So this is, I'd say, the big prestige project in terms yeah. of. Uh, cast in terms of uh promotion uh it's pursuance on Ropadope, and lakeisha alto saxophone player has assembled this enormous cast of well-known jazz players to produce a really big album chock full of alice and john coltrane songs just a few of the people include ron carter gary bartz regina carter dd bridgewater steve wilson mark carey marcus strickland Brandy Younger, the the uh, harp player, and Jazz Jasmia Horn. Is that how you say her name? I, I want to say Jasmia because it sounds cool to say Jasmia, but you're probably right yeah, because Jasmia Horn would be I'm, cool. But well, yeah, I bet it's Jasmia. I'm almost certainly wrong. I mean, that's that's kind of the way you know. I'm like the opposite of the the groundhog. No, because I just think it sounds like a sentence if you say Jasmia Horn. Jasmia you know? Horn. But but it may be. I don't know how it's pronounced. It may be Chasmaya. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it's like when there's a transition. Remember, it used to be speed bump, and then the signs would right. say speed hump, and it's like, okay, that's not a noun anymore. That's that's more like a really offensive suggestion. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so this album, wow. it's You're leaving out. There's a whole bunch more. Um, Michelle and Digicello, Chasmaya Horn, you mentioned. Did you get Ron Carter? Did I did, get- yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's okay. My bad. It's uh, okay. Reggie Workman, Greg Osby. Yeah, okay. I miss them. Yeah, right. I just, they said over 40 musicians. And it's, yeah, crazy. Wow. So I, I wasn't sure what I was going to think of this and feelings are mixed. I, I liked it pretty well, but it is, wow. It, it's, it's heavy, man. So thoughts on, on pursuance. Yeah, so my problem here, and I do have a problem, is so this is a we get albums like this a lot. One of the best ways to kind of pay homage to the ancestors is to literally pay homage to the ancestors, you know, in a recorded fashion. And the question always is going to be how much are you going to reproduce or follow um, in the, the tracks of the beloved ancestor and how much are you going to reinterpret um, or re rethink what the ancestor has done, right? It's always the anxiety of influence problem. And this is the kind of album I imagine that is just going to have an incredibly wide array of responses. There are people for whom jazz stopped in 1970 who will hear this and go, fuck yeah. Awesome. You know, they're going to dig this a lot. And then there are going to be people 
who, you know, are up on the latest stuff and, you know, they're into the multi-tracking and, and uh, rap and hip-hop influences and everything else. And they're going to say, I've heard this before. What the fuck? And I think you're going to have an every range of response in between. So my feeling is uh, I, I fall somewhere in the middle. If reproduction of tradition gives you an orgasm as one end and reinventing the tradition at the other end gives you an orgasm, I'm somewhere like at a four, you know, between the old tradition and the new. You know, I, I lean toward I don't mind hearing the chestnuts played again, but I want them to be reinvented in some way or to be transformed in some way. So I feel like she's a great player and the moments that scratched my itches the most were often the places where she sounded in context, most similar to the namesakes of the album. Having said that, I kind of wanted to be a little more challenged than this I wanted to be pushed a little farther. I wanted someone to kind of turn things inside out a little bit more than happens here. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. You hooked me up recently with an album, a Monk tribute album. What the hell was the name of that? That's the way I feel. Right. Yeah. That's the way I feel now. And that album, that's the way I feel now. And that album has some jazz folks, but then some unexpected folks like, Donald Fagan and Was Not Was and Joe Jackson playing monk tunes. And the treatments are, they, they pull the songs like Taffy, and, and I find that really compelling. And some of those treatments I really like, because I think, wow, that's that's a different way of thinking your way into that. That's a different way of, of dealing with that. I like, I like that. That's good. Well, there's some of that kind of thing here, right? I mean, some of these songs get... Little hippity hoppity, so, or yeah. But less, I think. I, I didn't. Those moments didn't stick with me as much as you know when I'm hearing squalling horn reproducing Coltrane, and I'm like, ah, that's familiar, and oh, that's familiar. It's kind of how I felt. And I, it's it's not a bad album. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like I'm grotesquely disappointed. How could I be with all of these amazing players, right? Every time Reggie Workman plays on an album, that's like a good thing. Like, there's, you know, that's always a good that's always a good day. It's just I guess I was hoping for a little more abrasive take on some of this stuff than, than what happened here. And, and, you know, maybe maybe I'm I'm maybe that's my problem, not her problem. I, I, I thought there should be a little more. I, I would have liked a little more abrasive, aggressive treatment of some of this material than than what feels a little a little too um, reverent. Maybe. Yeah, that's the right word. A little too reverent, maybe. That's my take. That's my feel. But again, these are amazing players. Like everyone here, I like like just about everyone here, with maybe the exception of I, you know, I have a longstanding aversion to Dee Dee Bridgewater. You know, <laughs> great vocalist. She just she just doesn't do it for me. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's the, uh, how can you gainsay the players here? I mean, I don't see how you could look at this and go blah. And to Lakeisha Benjamin's credit, man, she can fucking play. Shouldn't 
the real deal, you know? Um, it, you know, one might say for someone to do an album called Pursuance, right? You know, the Coltrane's, that that is scaling Mount Everest. And if you're going to do that, you better have your shit in order. And by God, I think she does. I think, I think she's allowed to do this. I think, she, I think her doing this is not, it's not hubris or, you know, maybe it is hubris, but I think she's, she writes a check that she can cash. Let's put it right. that it doesn't, way. It doesn't, yeah, she doesn't set herself up and then just, yeah, I mean, it wasn't called the inchworm, the lighter side of Coltrane, was it? You know, it's kind of, right. she's going for the, you know, she's hunting the big game, right? Liberia, Alabama. Om Shanti, acknowledgement, pursuant. It's like holy shit. Right, right. Yeah, they do. Uh, do These are the big. Of this is, this is the big. Yeah. I mean, one cool thing about it is that I am not immediately aware, and I'm. This may be ignorance of either tribute albums to Alice Coltrane or joint tribute albums to Alice and John Coltrane. Right. Most of the time, the focus is squarely on John, and it was kind of cool that she really gives them equal billing and splits. You know, some of the songs she does are or by John or associated with him and some are by Alice. So that I thought was an interesting spin. Yeah. She's definitely, you know, I, I think she's a very fine player. I, I, she is very direct. She's got a very full, powerful throaty sound. It's kind of a freight train thing. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I enjoy it. I mean, it's good, but it, it's, it is very earnest, right? I mean, in a way mm. Coltrane is a very earnest artist and yeah, there's not a lot of slyness or wit or lightness in this album, nor is there supposed to be. It's serious stuff. We're putting on our big girl boots and we're going to go looking for the divine. <laughs> Just as John and Alice both did in their lifetimes, you know, kind of a very earnest searching kind of music. And that for sure is what she's vibing to about him. I think more than, say, Coltrane, the harmonic obsessive. Right. You know, in a way that if you think of like Michael Brecker, you know, he worshiped Coltrane, but what he's drawing from train as opposed to what Lakeisha's looking at. It's almost like they've separated out two chemicals from the, the, you know, the uh, the mixture that was John. And, you know, he is so focused on the harmonic complexity and the energy, but the spiritual striving and the kind of emotional directness, you know, not as much his thing and here this is kind of the opposite she certainly can play fast if she wants to and needs to But it's more about that just power and directness yep. and earnestness, um, which, you know, is me being a cynical kind of bastard. I enjoy it. It's not emotionally the temperature I'm most used to putting myself in. Right. I'm not hot music in that particular sense and very, very earnest music. And sometimes where the quest is, is more important than the result. I enjoy it. It's great. It's an important part of my life, but it's not my natural hunting ground. So, you know, there's that to deal with. I think, yeah, some of the songs do get, you know, a little jiggy with it. And that's mm-hmm. probably about the right 
decade of phrased. I mean, they're not real cutting edge, but you know, they are, they're looking, you know, further forward than the sixties. I think most of the performances work really well. It's, it's odd. There's a kind of portentousness about the project, right? It's, yeah. it doesn't, in a way, there's a, almost a, a wall up there that it is so important and so earnest that I don't know that I know her personally as a personality, as a player from this because it's so about this particular mission. So I don't, yeah. I, I, I need, and she's played with a variety of artists and both in the pop and the jazz realms. Presumably that's where she got that fucking awesome wardrobe. And I, I, I want to be real clear. I, I think more jazz musicians should enjoy dressing up. You know, I, you know, there's no harm in a little glamour in, in a profession that is resolutely unglamorous so often. Whatever. And that doesn't mean dressing like Lakeisha, but just whatever quirks you've got, whatever kind of presentation you might have that, that lets people know. I mean, for God's sakes, Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk wore funny hats. They're pretty fucking serious. You know, that's not a bad aspect. It's not, shouldn't be what you're about. But if it's, if it's a way you can also express yourself, please, by all means, do so. You know, I've seen enough guy in dad pants to last a lifetime at jazz concerts. <laughs> you know, I'm one of them. You know, dress better than me is, is, is my suggestion to all aspiring musicians. And Lakeisha absolutely does. But, yeah, I don't know that in a weird way, it's earnest as it is, it's also kind of impersonal. It's about all these famous people and these really towering musicians and making this kind of monument to them. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I, I said, this is a pretty good monument. I don't know that I know Lakeisha other than, you know, she's a gutsy player, a lot of power, a lot of talent. I love to hear her in a context where how much of that, I guess, is, is homage to. The, all right. Well, let. All right. Figure it out, people. We're making art here. <laughs> I, I I don't know that Joyce made a gagging with a spoon gesture, but I think she might have. Yeah, I think there was eye rolling going on out there. I, I can't. I cannot neither confirm nor deny. What what was she eye rolling at? My complaining about her, <laughs> shouting at Rand about something or other. Ah, that's oh. all staying in. It's what makes this golden. Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how much of this playing is partially about the fact that she is paying homage to Coltrane and how much of it's Lakeisha. Again, this is my ignorance. I haven't listened to other projects by her. But it's impressive, and she sure set herself up with a project that could have gone really wrong. In other words, it, as you said, right. You know, having set herself a very difficult task, she brings it off with a plum. So I'm impressed. I will yeah. keep my eyes and ears open. I feel I feel uh, similarly that I don't I may have heard her on another recording. I, if I have, I'm not aware. But I will. My eyes are now peeled. I would I'd pick up anything by her on the strength of this because I want to hear her do her own thing and I want to know what her own thing is because my God, she can play. So I, I'd yeah, like yeah. to know what she gets up to when it's not tribute time. It's just time to make her own art. Uh, I have a feeling that would be well well worth listening to. Because like I well, said, already, you know, she can do this. So I've written a fan ahead. letter and for the next project to be Paul Desmond. He wasn't that white, but yeah, he was. Anyway, <laughs> I like to see her ripping the new one. I just, I, this is the thing. It's like, I just don't know. Lakeisha does Bossa Nova. Somehow I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I just don't know. I, I'd like to be able to triangulate her personality a bit better through a different project. So I'm absolutely with you. Ears open. I want to hear the next thing. And I will say I put off listening to this record because I, I got to say, until I could contextualize her as a player, the awesomeness of the outfit and the hugeness of the project, again, were signs that things could potentially 
go horribly wrong, and they didn't. Mm. And again, dress awesome. I love it. But you've got to bring the goods if you're playing jazz, and she did. So, hallelujah. That's a great double threat. The next thing that comes down the pike, we're definitely going to try to listen to that sucker. All right, yep. uh, we saved the favorite for last. Yeah. You are a big fan of this Micaiah McRaven, we hope, maybe, possibly, yeah, album. Uh, 2017, so it's the only one that's not brand new this year. Highly rare. It's probably more, rare. Of a, more of a pun there, maybe, than very rare. Live recording the cassette with his quartet, and we just recently talked about the cornet player and vocalist Ben Lamar Gay, who appears on this. And I got to say, that's probably what got this album onto the by queue for me when I ran across it somewhere in Chicago. You know, I thought, oh, well, you know, I like Ben Lamar. I like Micaiah, but, you know, what's this going to be like? And so I thought I'd take a runner on it and see. Talk about why you like this particular one so much. Well, then also, uh, I'm going to hope that that's Mazzarella. I bet people call him Mozzarella all the time, but I bet oh, it's Mazzarella. On alto and and Junius Paul on bass. Um, Absolutely, who, we've right. had a couple of things of him across, across the the pipe. That's got to um, be electric, right? I mean, it's it's the bass think? is a presence. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, maybe two electrics. Um, I don't know. It's big. So the first thing to say is this is recorded live, but then it's uh, mashed up. It is multi-tracked or heavily treated, and it's heavily treated so that it sounds like a dirty lo-fi recording. And um, I've heard that kind of uh, treatment of music in other settings, and to me it's hit or miss. In this case, it's a hit. I really like the way this sounds. I love the lo-fi kind of scratchy the murk it's like you could yeah you could kind of hear the rasp of the of the of the the metal a snare is produced by the sort of metal straps underneath the drum you know that, that gives it that particular sound it's like you can hear them vibrate I, I fucking love the way this album sounds i think it's i think it sounds fantastic it's it's i don't i, I don't even know where to begin so uh, a lot of this is uh, mid tempo. It's not. It's it's not a lot of. Um, there, there aren't. There's not a lot of burning here, is there? Oh, it's kind no of mid tempo. <laughs> no balance. Hey, it's baby. all about sort of treated grooves, and then you get kind of um, the alto from time to time, and the cornet um, playing over this stuff. But the grooves themselves are dead interesting, and we get 
from time to time, extended breaks for the drum or the bass, then both of these guys can play. So like even on a very short song, like after Danny's intro, the first, you know, cut, um, uh, the locator, you know, at about 2.45, it's just drum solo to the end. not drum solo like this is not uh buddy guy you know this is not um I mean, buddy uh, rich. sorry buddy yeah. rich yeah, buddy rich <laughs> not buddy rich uh tearing it up rather it's this kind of cool sophisticated um uh riffing over the groove you know um, through the last minute of the song really um Lots and lots of vamping basically over what I take to be treated rhythm section stuff. Occasionally, uh, Ben Lamar Gay does some weird things. I think on Venus Rising, I think he's playing his mouthpiece for the first part of that song. Is that, does that sound <laughs> right to you? I mean, I don't, I wouldn't you know, put it past him. I mean, it doesn't sound like, yeah, I mean, I mean, so there is some muted cornet on here, but, um, but then it turns into this kind of squalling, dueling horns over the drums, very sparse and tribal bass kind of kicks in. And then on a lot of these numbers, we get, we get builds and I, I am a big sucker for the, the cool groove that builds and builds and that the horns play over I'm I'm a total sucker for that. So my favorite cut here is the longest one, and I think brilliantly titled "Left Fields." This is the kind of wit that I think is entirely absent from Wynton Marsalis's "Blood on the Fields." Right? "Left Fields" is a great title. You know, it's like these are fields we've left behind, but it's also this whole song is coming out of left fields. I just think it's really fucking clever, and I do think it has. I do think it has that kind of connotation because it begins with scattered percussion and kind of chants over the scattered percussion, which go on for a long time. And we don't really get the alto sax until about the fourth minute. And then, the, you know, Micaiah doesn't kick in until about the fifth minute. And then for six minutes, this fucker just builds and builds. It's like an engine room of tension. And that's my sweet spot. I just fucking love that. I think it's, outstanding I, I love those kinds of moments i love the final cut uh some extremely treated vocals um and, but also uh crowd noise crowd clapping um that are then over sort of looped in over treated percussion that eventually kind of you know all clarifies itself toward the end that's the final uh number early bird once again we get an almost dance number rfj3 kind of funky bass and drum with there you just have some cornet accents 
until finally, again, it turns into another one of these rhythmic engine houses over which the horns are dueling. That one's got a really good bass line uh, running through it throughout. And again, another number that kind of builds over time. I guess I didn't mention that Venus Rising is another number that builds, and as it builds, it seems to get farther and farther out. That's another thing I kind of dig when when a song starts in a kind of organized place, and as it builds, it feels like it's uh, falling apart. It feels like the the players themselves are you know increasing the chaos, and that one works for me too. I I just love the sound on this. I love the lo-fi aesthetic. I love the treatments on the instruments. I think this is very smart. I, I find it incredibly affecting all the way through. I connected to this almost immediately, and anytime one of these tracks came up on the loop that I used to sort of randomly listen to the stuff for the podcast, I was happy. I was happy. I was like, oh, Micaiah, yeah, <laughs> that one That one just hit the spot. I don't know why. And it, I like it better than Universal Beings. Um, I don't even remember that album that well. But on the strength of this, I feel like I got to go back and listen to that because maybe it was better than I remember and there was more to it that I missed. It just it doesn't I don't have a memory of it. But this man. This is just one of those albums that, that I connected to really quickly, really deeply, and liked enormously. And I just, I don't think it has a bad cut. I don't think there's a single song on here that goes on too long. I don't think there's a single cut that I would describe as inferior. I, I just like it all the way through. I think these are four guys. I don't know if they were having a good night because it's not really recorded straight, you know, from the concert. It's completely treated, you know. Um, he uses the sound units that they produced live as kind of, uh, they're part of a toolkit. They're a set of building blocks that he's going to rearrange and treat and link together more or less how he sees fit. I don't, that, I'm fine with that. I kind of like that. I don't know that you could play this album live the way it, it's played on the CD because it's clearly produced, you know, it's produced by stitching these elements together but i don't care i mean you know sketches of spain was stitched together too so that's that's not a bar to my enjoyment i just like this a lot I've, this is as much as i'd like as i'd like something on first listen for a while it really stuck for me so i hope you like it i hope it gets better for you i, I have a feeling i like it a lot more than you do it's interesting you mentioned mentioned sketches of spain which was a reasonably linear thing but was so difficult to play they had to patch it together but i was thinking of some later miles electric stuff where you know they go in there and jam and then tio Massaro was in charge of turning yeah their sessions into records now i think less he would stitch together uh segments of performances where here i think some of this is going on a more atomic level yeah it is. I think this album is, is, makes more of a visceral impact. I actually did go back and listen to Universal Beings, and um, it's a very different beast in that this is really about this chunky, messy, grainy, opaque, murky sound, and 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 the and the, the kind of momentum that, that he's building out of these blocks, but that it has this kind of funk to it from that the nature of how it was, you know, created. I mean, this the source material is very rough. Whereas if you listen to Universal Beings, it's much more polished sounding. I agree that it's interesting. Are these really good rock songs in a way? It, it they're mm. they build. They've got these moods. They have this tension. They've got this thrust to them. There are these repeated riffs, you know, incantations almost. Thank you. 
one point Ben Lamar Gay saying, I see lightning, I see lightning. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, I think it was Pitchfork said, but that could also mean I see lightning. Okay, well, you know, whatever. It doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. It, it is a chant. It's a, you know, a little verbal piece of flotsam that sticks in your head after a while and can mean whatever you want it to mean through repetition. And so there are aspects of this that are sort of like, you know, certain kinds of rock. You know, I was asking myself, well, how much of this, how much improvisation is involved? And there certainly is some, and it does get out sometimes. I mean, the trumpet player and saxophone player at times really, you know, will go out in outer space. But for the most part, it is these fragments that get built into riffs. You know, it is a, he'll build this really crunchy, complicated groove out of various parts, and then he'll layer on a circular moment from the saxophone and the trumpet or both. And they'll let that churn for a while. And I think it's effective emotionally and musically. It's not a place to turn for a lot of extended improv. I think even more so than, in some ways, universal beings, there's more quote-unquote jazz in it in terms of just improvisation. But, you know, uh, we're going to talk a, a couple episodes down the road. We had a really interesting email from a listener talking about, is jazz a closed book? Is it is, is a genre really no longer developing? Is it just kind of a, a, a rigid genre now? And my feeling is, is that these projects that Mackay is doing are kind of trying to make a step change from what we think of as the core of most jazz, which is people interacting in real time with a fairly loose rule set. You know, they aren't following a very specific map of exactly what you play the way you would in a rock band for something. It might not be written, but, you know, you, you know exactly what's supposed to happen or classical music or whatever. There are there are rules there for the most part, but they are kind of creating some things on the fly. How are we going to play these chords? How's the accompaniment going to work? A lot of it is made up on the spot. And in a way, he's kind of saying, well, no, we can move beyond that. We can take some elements from that, but I'm now going to turn it into something that I've crafted after the fact. And so it naturally kind of turns the spotlight away from the spontaneous invention, right? It becomes another puzzle piece. And so I like it. I mean, I, I think that it's, it is, I found it, you know, I, I listened to it and I said, I, I've got to burrow into this. Um, so I'm going to, I, you know, my, my life now is I go to work instead of spending an hour at lunch, reading the New Yorker, going out or an hour and a half playing ball. I eat at my desk and then I walk half an hour. I've got to get the hell out half an hour, stay six feet away from people. There aren't that many out. And I either listen to a podcast, or listen to music. So this I had on the headphones and, you know, after a while there is a, if it's if it's really loud, really in my ears, I both like it and I get fatigued because it is pretty distorted and lo-fi. It's it's visceral, it's acting on your bones, but for me anyway, it's 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 purposefully ugly in some degree, and that that yeah. works emotionally. But it's not something I can bathe my head in for an hour straight because it just it is it wears me out because it is it's meant to be quite intentionally rough sounding and that's certainly something that universal beings because i think well i should give this another listen it's been a while oh yeah that is you know it is a much smoother more polished sound but the same problems arose with that for me and maybe more distinctly because this is a pretty good rock album whereas universal beings was a little bit more i felt trapped and sometimes it's like well i'm not quite getting the jolt of improvisation on the fly that i get from jazz but i'm not quite sure this new thing is better than that and that's you know i that's a question he raises, and I, we're not going to know the answer. At least I won't for a few years. Is this something that's equally valuable to me as a thing? 
this cut and paste because it's obviously it's been done before. I mean, people have created music out of little loops, out of pieces. You know, I, I can't remember the name of this artist, this woman from Scandinavia or something that made whole albums out of samples. It's nothing but bits and pieces of her record collection. And then she'd string them together into quote unquote songs. And you know that, it'll look at you know, Odelay, a better known example from back right, you know, where a certain amount of the texture of what's going on there are samples. And so this is, it's different. It's more jazz, right? It's, it's one group, one night that he then puts together. It's not culturally eclectic. But I, I don't know. I'm going on and on. I should just shut up. But but these are the questions it raises for me. It's a fascinating record. I, I think it is a great rock record. I mean, it is a, as you say, this building, you know, you, you talked about, I and mean, this is a much smarter thing than a, who's a man with the Iron Man, um, Black Sabbath, right? You know, it's, it, right. it's. A lot more sophisticated and a lot of vectors than Black Sabbath, rhythmically. What it, but, you know, there is that sense of that kind of the, the joy of the groove. And that's something I like, you know. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm still my the jury's still out for whether this as an it's just an alternative, how much ultimately value I find in it, as opposed to all the other kinds of music that I get pleasure and nourishment from, whether it's classical pop jazz whatever so a long rant but uh doesn't mean i didn't like it because i did you know anything else you want to say about micaiah yeah yeah just you know um (laughs) can we put (laughs) we could put a little bumper of me before you start talking and i I could just say tl dl too long didn't listen mike likes it go get it (laughs) all right there you go yeah we'll yeah we'll we'll, no yeah we'll I, I, I take your point. Uh, no, don't do that. I'm kidding. I, I take your point. But yeah, for me, this this still works as jazz, especially there's just enough uh, content here uh, with with uh, mozzarella and gay. Uh, there there are still improvised elements, but yeah, it's heavily produced. You know, this is an object of production. Um, right. And I, I can I can see why you would say the thing you say about you know is this rock? I, I'm gonna say it's not, but. I get where you're coming from. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I hear that. But for me, like I said, this just scratches, itches that, man, I love it when music does this. This just really works for me. This is right in my sweet spot. So dig this album a lot. Yeah, and I'm not you know, saying is it as a way of dismissing or denigrating. I like a lot of rock. I mean, it, it does different kinds of aesthetic work. And yeah, it's not quite that either, But it's and which is what makes it interesting. But yeah. Okay, well, anyway, four interesting albums, uh, four artists who are out there producing right now and would like your ears and, if possible, a little bit of your money. <laughs> so if you yeah. can you know, find a way to show them a little bit of love on Bandcamp or wherever these albums are available, you know, look them up. You can't see them live right now. Maybe you could stream them and go fund them or, or, or you know, get some kind of download or uh, a disc from Amazon or some other mail order place. But uh, all worth yeah, all four worth yeah, All four are worth your attention. Absolutely. It's almost a feeling you can touch in the air. You look all around you, but nobody's there. Been a long time now since you've been aware that someone is watching you. Sooner or later, when your big chances come. 
All right. Well, I, I know I put some things that were not worth your attention and look here for pop matters. I, <laughs> anything you I want to talk about? One of them. I already had. So I already had no pussy footing. Is that a um, is that a is that a, a vinyl dub or what? Yeah, somehow I I mean I, I never owned it in any other form and I just for whatever reason didn't have a dub lying around, so I, I made one. I mean it's it's the same okay. LP I've had for God knows how many years. Yeah, so no, it's and we're talking about the ambient album by Fripp and Eno, Brian uh Eno and Robert Fripp from like seventy two or seventy four. Yeah. Offensive no pussy footing because they're just oh. idiots. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, apparently they, they uh, photoshopped the cocaine off the off the cover. My version doesn't have a big white pile of white powder on the desk between them, but apparently the original issues did. So. Of the other two things that were sort of floating around in there, I haven't gotten to the other Alan Parsons uh, project. I've listened to the Edgar Allan Poe Tales of Mystery and Imagination. Eh, uh, it's going to take a little more uh, listens before I really feel strongly about that. I am one of those people who is not a big fan of the fall of the house of Usher. And I've seen actually too many film treatments of it more than I care to mention. And it's, I, I have a natural kind of animus toward that work. So I'm going to have to listen to that a few more times before I decide whether or not, I mean, for me, Alan Parsons, the ultimate isn't, aren't Alan Parsons, the one who do eye in the sky. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, that is always the song of the Chicago Bulls in the 90s when they won six championships because that was their introduction. So for me, Alan Parsons always has a, it's always a sweet memory because they, they did that song. The, the long instrumental intro to that song was the Bulls. No, it's not Eye in the Sky. It's some other song by them. It, it's, it's the instrumental that comes before Eye in the Sky. Yeah. The series right. or something like that. Yeah. 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 So for me, I mean, Alan Parsons is always, venerated because of that connection to that memory. And then I had only listened to, I've only listened to the black album once. Wow, the damn. I'm not sure anything will ever get me. Yes. I'm not sure anything will ever get me to completely revise my opinion of the damned, which is that they're, they are, they are talented fools. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting album. I have to listen to it a few more times. We both are big fans of strawberries and I am head over heels for uh, Phantasmagoria, the first album by them we ever heard, which we both agree is one of the great, great bad albums ever made. Like, it was just a spectacular mistake. Someone, and there should have been adult supervision during the making of that album. There should have been a producer who had the power of no, but there wasn't. And so basically they could do whatever they wanted. And what they wanted was always bad. You mean great. You know? You're should we have, the wrong word should, there. <laughs> should we have a glockenspiel on this song? Yes, we should. How about so a we're talking solo? about, uh, Absolutely. I, I, so I dropped a, a couple <laughs> records. One was Brian, Eno and Robert Fripp's ambient album, no pussy footing where Robert Fripp played guitar into tape loops. And, Eno did naughty things to those tape loops. And that's, it's just an early uh, record that's, I think, fairly effective. I don't know why the second side had to be called Swastika Girls. I don't, I don't like it. What do you, you know? Yeah. Anyway, and then so um, I've been going back to the Alan Parsons of my youth, and you know, a band that's held in contempt by just about everybody and probably justifiably. It really wasn't a band. <laughs> it was a project. It was a producer. 
He was a, yeah, he yeah. was an engineer who worked on Dark Side of the Moon and other projects. And then he ran across this songwriter, Eric Wolfson, who apparently at one point somebody said, write a song for everybody in the top 40 right now or something. He was just a kind of a, just a gun for hire kind of guy. And he wrote most of the music and they hired a rotating cast of people on each record. Half of the, most of the, each record was instrumentals. And it's all very, I, I think I finally decided it's like, they're known for quote-unquote concept albums, but really what Alan Parsons is is yacht rock for nerds. You know, it's mm. it's a super Big smooth, call. soothing '70s pop music that every now and then throws an instrumental that steals right from an unpublished work by Debussy or you know <laughs> just yeah. ridiculous stuff. That's exactly right. Yeah, and. You know, on those terms, because and the other thing is, is that they constantly are getting their themes wrong. So apparently one of the very first uses of the vocoder was on the song The Raven from Tales of Mystery and mm-hmm. Imagination, you know, the first album they did. And then the next album they do is I Robot, and they don't use the vocoder on I fucking Robot. <laughs> it's like, guys, it's so close, so close. And they have Steve Harley from Cockney Rebel singing a song about it. Is, so they have nothing on their minds, nothing at all. But anyway, a guilty pleasure, and you know, I, I just dug those out. They, I've had them for 40 years and cleaned them up and dubbed them and there's there's some fun stuff on it. It's not as ridiculous as that HP Lovecraft rock opera. Remember that we did a couple oh, years God, back. Yeah, you know that it gets fun. close where the the guy the, the Telltale Heart is just about that silly. But mostly, Alan is about soothing you. And right now, that doesn't hurt. You know, empty-headed '70s over-engineered music where everything is beautifully measured to the last centella and none of it means shit. I kind of like that right now. So I've been enjoying Well, that. That, that that brings me – go ahead. Well, anyway, I was going to say the other album uh, you've been talking about is the one-disc version of the sprawling, originally double album, The Dam's Black Album. Yeah. And the second disc, which I the release I bought in the States didn't have, has like a 17-minute song, which is the best example of them doing things they should not have been allowed to do. And then it was filled out with uh, six live tracks. But to me, the the epitome of this, and I think they're geniuses who just happen to have really low IQs, is that he sings a song called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And the whole point of Jekyll and Hyde is that it's shorthand for a split personality, right? I mean, everybody right. knows what that means. And he explains it to the whole song. He wants to hurt you, but I'm not. It's like, we know what it means. That's the whole point of Jekyll and Hyde. It's it's a way of saying that without having to, and he's going to cut you, but I'm going to cuddle you. It's like, and then at the very end, it's like, two for the price of one. (laughs) Anyway, it's a great album. It sounds great on vinyl. I mean, I dubbed it in Sweden a couple of years ago off Spotify, a bad mono stream. And I'm like, Really, this is a pretty good sounding record. This is, you know, pretty awesome. Wait for the Blackouts, one of the great songs of all time. You know, it, it's just, they just have nothing on their minds. And God bless them. Anyway, They're sorry to go on and on about it. Well, you know, never, never, never was a band more aptly named. 
Never was a lead singer. Never was a lead singer less aptly named. So. Dave Vanian, you mean, or whatever? He, he, they all made up their is own. It, isn't the lead singer? I know. Isn't the lead singer Captain Sensible? No, no, no. He was. He would sing uh, the the Cockney style songs, but the main singer, the Goth uh, Boy, was Dave. Was Dave Vanian? And of course, they all made up all the names for. Right. Made up. The drummer is Rat Scabies or exactly, something. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and what happened was, is that apparently for Phantasmagoria, Captain Sensible left. And so there was no one sensible left oh. in the band. And that's how that <laughs> that's album how got came about. Oh, what a great record. The reason I got confused is because um, I actually have an album when Captain Sensible went solo. <laughs> so yeah, he had some kind of weird pop hit. Yeah, he was a pop star uh, for yeah. a while there in England, only in England. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's kind of those dubs are what I've been listening to. On my Pop Matters, uh, so since you mentioned 70s soothing music, um, uh, ABBA's – is it ABBA or ABBA? What do you say? ABBA? ABBA? I think we call them ABBA, but I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I, don't know. I yeah. should, I should uh, ask from the Midwest, Sweden. If you're from the Midwest, you say ABBA because that's, ABBA. We, that's what we do to vowels in the Midwest. Waterloo has been on uh, play here recently, so soothing, mindless pop, like the King Kong song. And of I know course the title track Waterloo. There's some, there's some. Is that the one with like Jenny run around? There's like a, a weird song at the end of one of them about this girl that won't leave him alone. Um, Susie hang around. Susie. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Susie. Hang that's, around. That's and, a then I, song. and then in uh heavy rotation for whatever reason, just the weird system I have of, of listening to music. Um, are you at all familiar with Connor Oberst? Do you know Heard who the he name? Is? Was he bright eyes? Was he? Or he's was Bright Eyes, which is yeah. yeah, he was. Well, I mean, you know, he, he is the he's one of those. He's so he's from Omaha, Nebraska, and by like age eighteen, he was a member. I'm not making this up of like twelve different bands, you know, and they're all basically him, but writing in different idioms, right? So he has a band called The Faint. He's in Bright Eyes. He's in uh, Los Des, uh, Desaparecidos. I mean, he's just got a shit ton of bands, Monsters of Folk, and I'm leaving out like five or six more. I mean, he's just, you know, and he was uh, uh, once upon a time, I think he's in his late 30s, early 40s now. He was like heralded as the, you know, new Bob Dylan because he was beyond prolific. I mean, the motherfucker just wrote tons of music and for whatever reason a couple of his albums have popped up in the rotation lately and i, I think i like him when he's not himself um that mm. is to say uh in the rotation recently are upside down mountain and outer south two releases by him which are kind of upside down mountain is kind of a folky album from 2014 outer south is more rocky uh but that's from 2009 and i actually like better a disc he did in 2015, which can only be described as punk or emo under the moniker Desaparecidos, which means the disappeared ones or whatever, you know, um, they have a Spanish name, but they're not fucking Spanish. And, um, it's just a punk album and it's a lot of screamy, angry stuff. 
And I think I like that better. My theory about Connor Oberst is I like him better when he's not himself. Whenever he, okay. I, so I like the faint. I like um, he's in a band called Cursive. Um, I like Cursive. I like uh, I like the faint, and I like um, uh, Bright Eyes a lot. I have like four of their albums, and I, I, I say they, but it's just him and friends in a studio. And I, I think Lifted is a brilliant, brilliant album. So I don't know for those people out there who are into him, he's kind of cool. Years ago, um, and this is just an example of his you know prolificness. Years ago, um, when he was at Omaha, he started a label called Saddle Creek Records. And I had picked up, I got interested in Saddle Creek because for a while I was really deeply, long before they became national, I was really into Rilo Kylie. And one of their, I think their album was picked up by Saddle Creek. And Connor Oberst, I think, was on it. A friend of his produced it. He sang a couple of songs on the album. So anyway, I got a hold of years ago, this must be like 2008 or seven or something like that, a Saddle Creek Records album. Um, album sampler and it's got like one rilo kiley song on it and then there's like 12 other bands and they're all connor oberst bands they're all connor (laughs) they're they're all like like there's like you know like 10 other bands and and if you listen to it you're like this is the same singer wait isn't this the (laughs) same singer is this this sounds like a screamy version of that folk singer well now this is a four to the floor rock song and they're all it's like they're all his bands it's really kind of funny it's it should be called the connor oberst sampler uh because you know he's on all the goddamn he's singing all the goddamn songs so i thought that was kind of funny anyway he's in the rotation lately and the name of this album that i like uh the punk album and it's very screamy so if you don't like people yelling at you about um you know He's got a song called Maricopa, you know, which is a county in, I guess, California. Uh, Maricopa County, except it's spelled M-A-R-I-K-K-K-O-P-A. You know. Okay. It's that I wonder what that could mean. Uh, yeah. Okay. I wonder what that could mean. It's very screamy, but the name of the album is, it's a nice name, called Payola. So. Okay. All right. If, if that sort of thing, give it a listen, kids. If you like the screaming. Avoid anything with his name on it. I think those are less interesting. There's my tip of the week. And that concludes Jazz Bastard Podcast 191. As always, you can reach us at pat at jazzbastard.com or mike at jazzbastard.com. You can drop me a line on Facebook or look me up on All About Jazz. The podcast can be downloaded from www.jazzbastard.com from Stitcher, from Mixcloud, from Apple Podcasts, and it can be streamed at All About Jazz. We realize we're losing a lot of great jazz musicians as the days go by, both from age and, of course, from COVID-19. Right now, we're going to continue our focus on young musicians releasing new albums, but we keep these musicians in our hearts and minds and may return to some of them later. We just don't know. It's just if we talked about every one of them it become kind of a funeral show given how many we're losing day by day next time we're going to talk about two artists we've discussed earlier and two that are brand new to us all of whom have new releases in 2020 the artists include charles pillow new far fay grid and sasha Mashin. till next time take care